0: The golden age of travel is back in the Palm Beaches. Relax on sun-kissed beaches with cleaner sands and fewer crowds. Experience the original, the one, the only, the Palm Beaches. Plan your trip at thepalmbeaches.com.
1: Ian Peebles, who was Aubrey Faulkner's main protege, writes of a trip in his book that Faulkner made to Victor Trump's sports store in Sydney at the start of that Australian tour in 1910-11. Trumper gave him a bat. Faulkner was overwhelmed. Then he used it, and it was a dog. The ball didn't jump off the bat. It yawned and fell asleep on impact. A few days later, Trumper asked how it was. Faulkner was honest. Trumper was aghast, and he took the bat back, and he decided to use it for himself in a tour match to see what the problem was. Faulkner stood back dumbfounded as the ball flew to the boundary over and over again as if the bat now contained some kind of hidden superpowers. Trumper handed it back, telling Faulkner it was now knocked in. Faulkner used it again, but for him it was still just a plank of wood. And yet in that 1910-11 series, Faulkner made 71 more runs than Trumper. Welcome to Double Century, a podcast by me, Jared Kimber, on the history of cricket brought to you by 99.94. This is the third and final episode in our series on one of the greatest cricketers of all time, Aubrey Faulkner. Aubrey Faulkner was never officially diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but those who wrote about him often suspected that he suffered from it. In social situations, Faulkner often behaved as if he had hypomania, a mild form of mania that is marked by hyperactivity and elation. He was excitable. Seemingly happy, the center of attention at many parties, often mimicking famous people and making everyone laugh. Faulkner knew a lot of people. Everyone was a good friend or a lover, but very few truly knew him. According to author Brian Bassano's book, Aubrey Faulkner, which is one of a series of books he wrote on prominent cricketers, lurking below the surface were demons, which caused moods of deep depression, often exacerbated by his attacks of malaria. As the years passed, he became more prone to what was probably manic depression. On one of the few occasions he opened up to people, he let them into a dark and painful world. Home, Gordon spoke to Faulkner during his last test, and he writes in his autobiography that his own retrospect of cricket was mysteriously and unjustifiably gloomy. No matter how many women he betted, how many people he made laugh at parties, how many wickets he took and runs he scored, it didn't matter. According to Gordon, He had confided that he felt an inward blackness that suggested the futility of his own magnificent prowess. The blackness was actually there when he batted as well, even when he was lauded as better than any visitor to Australia. Even when his teammates went to him for advice, they did so gently, as they could see what kind of state he was in. Aubrey Faulkner was also used. At one stage by Julian Kahn, who is like a combination of Kerry Packer and Alan Stanford, or a IPL owner all rolled into one he was based out of Nottingham and his family was very rich he loved cricket and he ran his own cricket clubs and games in Nottingham and he used his money to buy the most talented players from around the world and by far his greatest purchase was Faulkner twice Faulkner took all 10 wickets in an innings for Khan he also made double hundreds for him as well And he dominated in a way that you should if you are one of the world's best all-rounders and you're playing against a team made up of club cricketers and wealthy team owners with delusions of competence. Faulkner had originally moved to England to play cricket for Surrey or Middlesex, but Khan offered him more money. This was a fairly familiar tale. Before this started happening to West Indians, around the world, Australians, South Africans, New Zealanders often ended up going and playing for Khan instead of playing first-class cricket usually meaning that they would move to England and stop playing for the national team as well. And remember, Faulkner was not some successful businessman. Cricket was his salary. And he knew that the real money from his sport wasn't in South Africa or even in county cricket. It was in teams run by people like Khan. But something else happened to Rob Faulkner of his talent as well. When World War I broke out, Faulkner was one of the first to sign up for service. Just before he did, though, In June 1914, playing for the Leveson Gower 11, he made 70 and took five for 51 in his last first-class match against Oxford University. Faulkner briefly served on the Western Front, but was moved to Thessaloniki, or what people on the Front referred to as the Gardens of Salonica. It was rife with malaria, and Faulkner contracted it several times. Later in the war, he would move to Jerusalem, and for his involvement with the successful takeover of the city received the Distinguished Services Order. But he continued his struggles with malaria, but recovered to fight in Palestine. For his efforts, he received the Order of the Nile, Major Aubrey Faulkner. But that fit professional athlete that had left England came back broken man physically. What should have been his best years as a Test player were instead lost to the struggle to make a living and war. So there was a six-year gap between his first-class matches. And in his third game back, he took 10 wickets but he could no longer bowl the very long spells he once had. And
0: 18 months after the war, his wife left him. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live, because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews.
1: A few years later, South Africa were due to tour England in 1924. It would be their first trip to the UK since the disastrous 1912 triangular tournament, which gave us the ICC. South Africa's team was callow. They failed to beat any of the county sides in their 12 tour matches ahead of their first test at Edgebaston. In that match, in response to England's 438, South Africa managed to last 12.3 overs. They were all out for 30, with extras top-scoring with 11. They fared better the second time around, but they lost by an innings. They were so desperate that they sought out Major George Aubrey Faulkner for the following test. He was now a games master at St. Piran's Preparatory School in Maidenhead. He was 42 more overweight than he had ever been, and had not played a test match in 12 years. In fact, he hadn't played a first-class game since beating Warwick Armstrong at Eastbourne three years earlier. It was hard to convince him even to play. But in the nets before the game, he batted quite well. His wrong and still consistently confused people, including the captain, Herbie Taylor. And as King George V shook hands with the South Africans, old British Pathé footage shows Faulkner appearing almost maniacally happy nearly shaking with excitement at the prospect of playing for his country again. But of course, with his smile, we can never be sure what was behind it. Maybe hidden behind that happiness was all his worries. He must have been thinking, at his age, can I still play? Will I embarrass myself? In this game, South Africa won the toss and batted. They made 273. Faulkner came in at number eight, still with the bent-over, two-eyed stance and the strong twitchy bottom hand grip but the granite like defense had been replaced by a jittery old man who bounced around like a plastic bag caught in a cross breeze the pathé footage of this innings makes it clear how difficult it was now for Faulkner even a basic forward defensive was made to look almost impossible the bat seemed worried that its owner did not know how to swing it and it felt like he was using it as a crutch to stop from falling over There was no delivery recorded where he wasn't a flurry of nerves and excess movement. And there was also a lot of frustration there. He knew what he had to do, and he knew what adjustments to make that happen, but his body could no longer deliver. The will to achieve was still there, but it was almost all that was left. Still, it was some performance by someone so far removed from test cricket. He was on 25 when he missed a top spinner from Percy Fender. It wasn't his prettiest innings. It wasn't his best innings but it was, in many ways, his most heroic. When England batted against what was a failed Frankenstein's Monsters attack, the kind that couldn't work, and only ends up gnawing off its own limbs before exploding in a pool of blood, that attack managed two wickets. Patsy Hendren made an unbeaten 50, Frank Woolley an unbeaten 100, Herbert Sutcliffe a 100, Jack Hobbs made a double. Had they not declared, they would still be batting today. South Africa could not have been more embarrassed. But Faulkner produced one bit of magic. Hobbs, who had mostly played Faulkner by running down the wicket, did so again. In their glory days, Faulkner and Hobbs had been a great sight against each other. Sidney Barnes and Victor Trumper had alien gifts, but Hobbs and Faulkner, they were man-made marvels. If you want to know how good Aubrey Faulkner was, four times in nine tests, he actually dismissed Hobbs. Three of those times were when Hobbs was between 50 and 100. Stopping Hobbs on the way to the 100 was no mean feat. He made either 197 or 199 first-class 100s. But in this test, when Hobbs faced him, he danced down the wicket. Faulkner floated one up and Hobbs tried an on-drive, his favourite shot from Faulkner. But the ball wasn't where he thought it would be, and it ripped past his bat. All that needed to happen was for Tommy Ward to collect it and take off the bails. Sadly, that wasn't how Faulkner's life went, though. Ward fumbled. Hobbs scored. In Faulkner's comeback he was wicketless and embarrassed. In the years that passed he went back to his school and many of his assistants would say that he worked from seven in the morning till late at night, seven days a week, sharing food, virtually no rest. Faulkner would bowl with his right arm for the first part of the day and when he got in great pain he would switch to his left by the end. The school was almost always full but Faulkner somehow never made any money from it. And he refused to up the price even when he moved to Farm Lane in Wollam Green, where there were many more nets. He should have charged more, especially to the first-class players. He was struggling to cover costs part-time by working for the Westminster Gazette, the Cricketer and the BBC to supplement his wages. Still, though, it wasn't enough. He had spent his whole life around wealth, and those who used his school were often London's elite. But he never really saw that money. He was a great player and coach but he had no head for business. The one thing he refused to do was probably the simplest, open a bar. But it was the ghost of his father that stopped him. Faulkner had been a teetotaler his whole life. He didn't speak of it often, but those who knew him beyond the smiles knew that he didn't drink or trust barflies because of his father. In his book, Never a Crossbat, Tom Reddick, a former county player who was on the staff at Faulkner School, remembered a game at Chelmsford. He went with Faulkner, who was well into his 40s by this stage, and certainly in no shape for cricket, and he had decided not to take his kit with him to avoid the embarrassment of playing. He told Reddick, I'm much too old and fat, I shall not play. The organiser had Faulkner's name up on the marquee and wouldn't accept him not playing. Faulkner borrowed kit, walked down on the ground smiling, perhaps that same manic nervous smile that we saw in Lords. In fact, of his nerves, Faulkner once wrote, and nerves... Believe me, hate the fellow who can smile. I love that Faulkner wrote that, but I don't even think in that line he truly believed it. That nervous smile, the one he had used when he was in a room full of dignitaries or when he was panicking about money, was still on his face when he stood at slip and as he came on to ball. But as always, even out of shape, Faulkner landed the ball on a length and the nerves went away. He spun the ball both ways, as always, and the batters were on their way. One of his seven victims was Essex Dudley Pope. He played for a leg spinner and was bowled by a rongan. Pope was utterly confused and he walked past Faulkner saying, I don't know who you are, sir, but my word, you bowl a bloody good rongan. Faulkner and Jacques Callis both attended Winberg Boys High School. These two men are the bookends for the greatest bloodline of all-rounder any nation has ever produced. Jimmy Sinclair, Eddie Barlow, Mike Proctor, Basil D'Olivera, Tiger Lance, Tony Gregg, Clive Rice, Talip Sally, Justin Abed, Cecil Abrahams, Solomon Abed, Brian McMillan, Lance Kluzner, and Sean Pollitt. Callis swore 27 on his test show, as in the eyes of Cricket South Africa, he was the 27th player to represent his nation. Cricket South Africa does not recognize the players before readmission in their official lists, so Faulkner, test player number 58, doesn't exist. He didn't exist when he was part of the leg spin militia that beat England that first time, when he coached his entire side to win their first overseas test in Australia, when he risked embarrassment and injury to come out of a 12-year absence to play for his country, apparently it doesn't count. There are no stands in his name. No one receives the Aubrey Faulkner medal. There are no glossy books about it. In fact, when I searched Cricket South Africa's website for the name Aubrey Faulkner, I got no results. Sadly, the rest of cricket has done the same. Early Australian and English greats are praised, remembered, idolised. South Africans from that era may as well not exist. That one biography of Faulkner by Brian Bassano that I mentioned earlier called Aubrey Faulkner, his record, Innings by Innings. It's only 36 pages long. Faulkner was a white South African with so much privilege when he played the game. But of course, since then, so many things have changed. And who is going to fight for a man who played for a racially segregated country in an era of little success? A man who put his financial security above his country's own needs? Someone who's only played 25 tests. And of course was 48 when he died, which was six years after his last match. But he is also the only man in test cricket to ever average more than 40 with the bat and less than 30 with the ball. That's a minimum of 50 wickets and 500 runs. That shouldn't be an easy player to forget. In September of 1930, Jack Hobbs had just retired. The BBC got Faulkner to interview him. Even then, sitting opposite Hobbs, Faulkner knew his fate. He wouldn't be remembered as fondly. He wouldn't be Jack Hobbs. He hadn't achieved enough. He hadn't played for the right country. He hadn't built his legend in county cricket, and he was already broke. His cricket school wasn't making much money. His writing jobs weren't paying enough. He was fat, he was broken, and he was in the darkness. He tried to hide that behind his jovial nature, but it was still there. Perhaps if you listen with half an ear, you wouldn't pick up on any of the cues. But Faulkner's laughs were hollow. Maybe he knew that he only had a few days left. At one stage, he says to Hobbs, What a pity we can't stay young. You're lucky. The majority of us are not so fortunate. And those were pretty much the last words he ever spoke in public. The interview ends with Hobbs' reply. Faulkner never even said goodbye. According to David Friff's Silence of the Heart, it was colder than usual on the September morning when Faulkner's secretary turned up at the school. There, he read a note. Dear Mackenzie, I am off to another spear, by the small bat drying room. Better call a policeman in to do the investigating. When the police officer and secretary entered the room, the gas was overwhelming and at their feet was one of the greatest cricketers who had ever lived, lifeless, without a smile to hide behind. He left his widow, Alice, 273 pounds. Things were so dire for Alice that she went to Tom Reddick, whom Faulkner had once gifted his South African blazer to and she asked for a bat. Not because she knew what it meant to Faulkner, but because the buttons were made of gold. But that blazer wasn't his legacy, though. Redick was. And so were all the others that he coached. Tom Killick, for example, who personified the Faulkner method as a batter for Middlesex. Or Doug Wright, arguably England's finest leg spinner around the World War II years, who took over 100 test wickets. Or Fred Bakewell, who made over 14,000 first-class runs. Dennis Tomlinson, who once played a test for South Africa. Morris Turnbull, Walter Robbins, and Bob Wyatt, who made over 70,000 first-class runs and played 68 tests between them. Freddie Brown was another. Duleep and Jardine, too. And then there was Peebles. Under Faulkner's tutelage, Peebles went further than counter cricket, and he played 13 tests for England. A Scottish man bowling leg spin for England. And no matter how much the darkness was eating Faulkner, he would check the scores for how Peebles was doing every day. And when Peebles took wickets, he would smile, not for nerves or as a front, but from pure joy. Aubrey Faulkner helped build a cricket team. He helped build cricketers and he built a cricket utopia out of a rundown garage. Sadly, though, he never found his own utopia, he only built it for others. Thanks for listening to Double Century. This podcast is part of the 99.94 Network. You can download our app to listen to more content there. In the future, 99.94 will have cricket commentary and many different podcasts for you to enjoy. If you like this podcast, you might like our other one, Red Inca, where we occasionally talk about history, but mostly we focus on cricket today and the themes and the way the game is changing. We also have a YouTube channel, which you can find by searching for Jared Kimber, on this, we have the entire history of New Zealand opening batters and also an historical 11 I made of players who never played T20 but how they might have fared in the modern game. This podcast is funded by our supporters on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes or just Google Jared Kimber Patreon. This is obviously not an easy series to find advertising for and the more money that we have, the more episodes we can make. So any way you could support us is appreciated. Double Century is written and narrated by me, Jared Kimber.
0: It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.